right. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming. Great to see you. It's good to be here with you. My name's Drew. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we are jumping back into our series in 1 Corinthians. And we're studying through this letter slowly that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church at Corinth. And one of the things that we've seen about the church of Corinth is that they are a young, vibrant, yet immature church. And one thing that's true of them is that they have a lot of gifted people in their church, but one of the ways that the immaturity in the church is manifesting itself is that people are using their gifts to one-up each other rather than using their gifts to serve one another in love. And so really what we're doing is in the midst of this series through 1 Corinthians, starting a couple weeks ago and going a couple weeks into the future, we're kind of pausing and asking the question, what is the church? And I think that this image that we see in this passage of the church being the body of Christ is really important in our society today. And that's because we live in a society that is marked by the ideology of expressive individualism. So I'm going to call this modern culture. It's kind of a modern phenomenon. And basically, in expressive individualism, I believe that my desires and my gifts and my expression of myself is to be listened to more than the needs or desires and wants of my community. Now, that's a modern phenomenon because for the most part in human history, people have had more of a traditional view of human community. And the idea has been throughout human history that my desires and my wants are not to be exalted above the needs and wants of my community. Now, there's actually a problem both with expressive individualism and with sort of traditional values. With expressive individualism, we lose the community to gain ourself. But often, in traditional cultures, people lose themselves for the sake of the community. And I think that this image of us as a church being the body of Christ kind of captures what we want from both of those ideologies. What we see in this passage is that, yes, you have unique gifts. You are an individual, just like a nose is an individual part of a body, or a finger is an individual part of a body, or a hand is an individual part of a body. It is distinct from other parts in the body, and yet we are part of the body, which captures for us this desire that we have to be part of something greater than ourselves, to be lost in something that is beyond us and above us. So here's the idea that we're going to see in this text this morning, the simple reality that we are, as the church, members of the body of Christ. So the first observation we see in the text is that this, meaning this church, is Christ's body. 
Look with me again at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're just going to look at verses 12 through 17 again. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so last week, we took a little break from the book of 1 Corinthians, and we looked at the book of Acts. And as I was thinking about that text that we studied last week, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, I think it has some bearing on our understanding of this text. So if you remember, right, we saw that Jesus had just risen from the dead, and he is interacting with his disciples, and he is promising them that if they wait for a little while, that he is going to send his spirit. And as a result of them receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they are going to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if we continue to read in the book of Acts, we see that the disciples, sometimes reluctantly, spread out throughout the whole known world, and they followed through on this commission to preach the gospel to every creature. And local assemblies, gatherings called churches, were formed in each and every community. And one of the groups that was formed was this church at Corinth. And so they received the Holy Spirit, and now the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and he is saying to them, this profound and almost unbelievable statement. He's saying Jesus has not left the building. You are the body of Christ. So a lot of time has passed since the church of Corinth was even in existence. But one thing has not changed. And that's that I can look at this room of people And to say to you, you, plural, are the body of Christ. This is amazing. Being filled with his spirit, we are Christ's representatives together to this city. Now, I think there's a couple things that are worth thinking about when it comes to that. One is, what a genius idea it was for Jesus to display himself through our diversity. You see what the text says here? It says, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what's beautiful about this reality is that individually being filled with his spirit, we represent him in one body. 
That means the different races that are represented in this room, the different socioeconomic classes that are represented in this room, and the different giftings that are represented in this room are meant to show that Jesus is beautiful in many different ways. So as we embrace the diversity that is represented here, we embrace more of who Jesus is. Here's the other beautiful thing about this reality. It takes the pressure off any individual member. I think we've been told a half-truth about what it means to be Jesus' representatives on earth for most of our lives. And that is, you're told that you are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so you are to go out and you are to live as Jesus would live in your job or in your home, which is partly true. But let me take the pressure off of you. And instead of putting all the pressure on you, let me say this. We collectively are meant to represent Christ in this city. And so the best that you can ever be is to be a nose in the body. Good at smelling, terrible at seeing. The best you could ever be is eyes. Great at seeing, terrible at talking. Maybe you're a pinky finger. Great at being an assistant to grabbing things. Terrible at walking. The pressure is off of any individual member because we collectively are meant to represent Christ in the city. We collectively are his body, not individually. Which I think taps into something that is core to each of our DNA as a human being. We want to maintain our individuality and our giftedness But we equally, and maybe even more importantly, want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Think about the things that we gather for outside of church. Think about the biggest crowds that gather in our city. It's at concerts and at sporting events. Now, I want you to think about the latest sporting event that you've been to. And maybe one of the best features of sporting events is the Jumbotron. And there's all sorts of different games that they play on the Jumbotron, but the reason that we love the Jumbotron is because we know that every person who's in that room is there as a fan. And so there is a collective identity. We are one group. We even refer to that group in football as the 12th man, or we refer to it in basketball as the sixth man. So we know that we're all there as one body and one group, And yet what we love about the Jumbotron is you get to see the different individuals that represent that one group. So we love to see the teenagers with their shirts off with words painted across their chest. And we love to see the couples there when the kiss cam comes on who awkwardly looks at each other and sometimes it's a brother-sister combo and we see that and we love that, right? (laughs) And we love to see the old guy who's always there with the sweater vest, who probably gives a lot of money to the Golden Gophers Association that makes this whole thing possible. But the whole thing is we love 
to see the individuals that make up the greater group, and I think this is an echo and reflection of our desire to be part of the body of Christ. We were made as individuals to be part of a greater group, and the purpose that God has for his church, for this church on earth, is to be his representatives. We are his body. We have great dignity and worth as individuals, but this whole thing, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about glorifying and honoring him. So this is not our body. This is Christ's body. The second thing we see in the text is more specifically that we are members of the body. Look with me starting at verse 18, going through the first half of verse 24. It says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, by extension to us, it's not enough for us just to assent to this reality that we are part of the body of Christ and individually members of it. He wants us to live it out in a specific way. And here is the test of whether we are living this out on a daily basis. Do we ever say, To any member in the body of Christ, including ourselves, I have no need of you. If we are ever saying to anybody in this room, including ourselves, I have no need of you, we have stepped outside of believing that this is the body of Christ. So there's Two ways that I see in this text that we do this. One is pride. Here's the way that we can do this through pride. We start looking at ourselves and we start saying, man, I am so glad that I am an eye and not a big toe. Eyes are so much more important than big toes. God must have made me an eye because he thought I was so important and special. And so there's an irony in the text because we have parts of the body talking that aren't able to talk. So we have eyes talking to other parts of the body. And I think we're supposed to laugh. How ridiculous is it 
to picture an eye talking to a foot and saying, I have no need of you. And Paul is putting his sights on people in the church who have pride in their gifting or their ability or their position. And he's saying, how ridiculous to think that you are more important just because of your function in the body. And he is saying to those of us who would be prone toward pride, he's saying, think about your own body. And if you were given the opportunity to get rid of part of your body, which part would you want to get rid of? And he's saying, if you're asked that question, you would realize how ridiculous the question is because you like all of the parts of your body. And so why would you want to get rid of part of Christ's body when you wouldn't want to get rid of part of your own? Jesus doesn't like that. And so he is asking you to humble yourself and to see that the only reason that you are an eye and not a foot or a hand and not a mouth is because God has arranged it to be so. And he has arranged it to be so, not so that you would be proud of your position or your gifting or your ability, but so that you would humbly serve the other parts of the body. This is really a brilliant illustration. Because think about how your body works as one cohesive unit so that if one part is hurting, your whole body goes to the service of serving that one part. Or if one part is rejoicing, your whole body goes to that part and joins the party. Saying, that's what I want you to do if you are proud. The second response that we can have to being members in the body of Christ and to have those same words in our mouth in a slightly different way, I have no need of you, is to begin to say that to ourselves. So our pride manifests itself in insecurity and self-hatred. So we start asking ourselves, why am I the way that I am? Why did God make me a big toe? I would have whole lot rather been hand. Why did God make me a pinky finger? I would have whole lot rather been a mouth. And because I am not a public figure or because the things that I do are not well known or because people don't see the good works or the contribution that I've made, or I am not a celebrated part of the body, that must mean that I am unvaluable and unimportant. And you may need to hear that God has arranged it to be so. And he is reminding us, using this analogy of the body, to think about our own bodies. And he wants us to think about two categories of parts of our body. He wants us to think, first of all, about the weaker parts of our body. 
and about how indispensable those things are. We all realize this when we break our pinky finger and we try to open up a jar of peanut butter or do a simple task. And we realize that those weaker parts of our body are parts that we often don't even think about, but when they become injured and are incapacitated, we realize how indispensable they are to our daily life. And he is saying to those of you whose lives are marked by quietness, maybe you are engaging on a daily basis in private prayer. And there's no one in this room who knows about it. You haven't ever gotten any credit for it. And you feel like all I can do is pray for this church. And God is saying to you, you, in your quietness, are an indispensable part of the body of Christ. Without you playing your role, this body would not be what it is. And he says, I want you to think about another category. I'm trying to not get too graphic on this one. But he says, think about your private parts. He says, here's what you do with your private parts. You show your private parts greater honor by covering them up with modesty. And God is saying, I want you to think differently about your hiddenness in the body of Christ. And I want you to see that maybe your gifts, your abilities, your talents, and your good works are hidden. Not because God does not value what you're doing, because he is honoring you. Jesus tells us that we should not know what our, we should not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And that there is a reward in doing things behind the scenes. So if you are prone to insecurity, remember that you are indispensable and also remember that even if you are not honored before other people and well-known for your service in the church, that God sees you. And his eyes are really all that matters. So I think all of us should take on the view that because we are such small parts of the body of Christ, that yes, we have a role to play, but none of us is more important than the other. We are all role players. I don't know if you guys watched the documentary, The Last Dance, about the Chicago Bulls. I've watched it twice. And it's about the 90s Chicago Bulls. But one of my favorite parts is when they're interviewing one of the all-time great role players in NBA history, Dennis Rodman. And he is talking about the realization when he came to the Chicago Bulls that he was a rebounder. And he's talking about rebounding, and they have all these different shots of him, and he's like, yep, when the shot goes up and it's going on the left side of the rim, I know it's going to bounce this way. And he's if it goes on this side of the rim, it's going to bounce this way. And I know if this guy shoots it, it's going to have this kind of spin on it. And you're like, wow, this guy has really thought through rebounding. And he has fully embraced his role on this team. And throughout this documentary, you hear all these different players 
talking about Dennis Rodman, and although he is very limited in what he could bring to the table, he was indispensable to the success of the team. So counterintuitively, the way that we battle both pride and insecurity is the same. We realize that our role is limited but indispensable to the body of Christ. We would not want to get rid of any part of our body, and Jesus does not want to get rid of any part of his body. So we're members of his body. And the final exhortation in the passage is that we are to use this knowledge to care for one another. Look at the second half of verses, verse 24 through verse 31. It says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Okay, so the goal of this knowledge, Paul makes clear, is that there would be no division among us. That we would be perfectly unified. That we would see ourselves as one body of Christ. And because of our knowledge that we are one body of Christ that we would care for each other. So that if one of us in the room is suffering, all of us would suffer together. And if one of us in the room was rejoicing, all of us would rejoice together. Now this is exactly what we do when one part of our body is suffering or when one part of our body is rejoicing. I don't know about you, I sometimes forget that I have big toes until I stub them. And we've all been there, right? Like you come around the corner too fast, you stub your big toe, and you can feel your heartbeat in your big toe. And it's starting to turn black and blue. And it, all of a sudden, Every other part of your body goes into service mode for the big toe. Your hands are getting the ice. Your eyes are staring at the big toe. Your mouth is express, expressing the displeasure that you stubbed your big toe. Your mind is thinking, wow, big toes hurt so bad when you stub them. Your mouth is saying cuss words that you shouldn't say, whatever. Your whole body 
goes into the service of a seemingly insignificant part of your body because it's part of your body and it hurts. And Paul is saying, this is how the church should be. Now, in a crowd this size, we're not all even going to know when each other is suffering, but that's why we have small groups within the church. And there's going to be people that are suffering on a continual basis. I'm finding out about these things all the time. And there's no way that I, as your pastor, can care for you or have the capacity to care for you. But we, as a body, can go to the service of one another when we are suffering. And here's what I want us to expect if we're the one suffering. This is really important. If you're the one who's suffering, don't expect any one person to be the body of Christ to you. Listen, there's going to be people who serve you. There's going to be people who encourage you. There's going to be people who are generous to you. But there is not going to be one person who is all of those things to you because that's not how Jesus designed it. So as the person suffering, it's important that we're thankful for what people are bringing to the table and we're not bitter because certain people aren't bringing other things to the table. Melissa and I have experienced this many times firsthand as we've suffered deeply within the church. There's going to be the person who brings the gift card. There's going to be the person who bakes the lasagna. There's going to be the person who says words of encouragement. There's going to be the person who gives you the hug. But all of those people are going to be a different person. Now think about this from another angle. It's not just when we suffer that we want to run to each other's aid. It's also when we are rejoicing, when something goes well for us, we need people to rejoice with us. And we do this just as naturally in our own body. Think about a time where you ate delicious food. Something that you hadn't had before. You went to your favorite restaurant. You drank your favorite drink. And think about how your whole body responds when your mouth is rejoicing. This is amazing. Some of you more expressive people are like, throw your hands up. You're going to say words. You might jump up and down. You're going to get excited. You might order it again. When someone in the church is seen using their gifts, in a way that is blessing others. It is appropriate for us as the body of Christ, instead of getting insecure about that, to join in the rejoicing because we recognize that that person has been gifted by God and what they're doing is representative of what he has done in their lives and we can be a part of celebrating it rather than be a part of disunity by grumbling that we're not gifted like they are or we're not seen the way that they are. Wouldn't it be amazing if this reality characterized the life of our church? So I think the next question that comes to our mind is sort of the question that the Apostle Paul begins to hit at. Okay, 
So what are my gifts? What are my talents? What are my abilities? And Paul starts to get into that a little bit and says that God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Then he asks this question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues? And the answer to the question is no, we're all different. So some of us have this gift and some of us have that gift. And some of us have very ordinary gifts like administration, and some of us have exceptional gifts, like the gift of healing. But here's the interesting thing. As soon as Paul brings that up, he gives us this exhortation first. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So you want to have the gift of healing. You want to be able to speak in tongues. Great. Ask God for it. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. But then he makes this statement, which tees us up for next week, and he changes the subject. And he says, and I will show you a more excellent way than this. So earnestly desire the higher gifts, but there's a more excellent way. And he's going to spend all of next week talking about how much more important love is than giftedness. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. This has kind of been a profound realization for me this week. I want you to think about the most important thing that Jesus Christ did for us on the earth. His death for us on the cross. And I want you to ask this question. Which of Jesus' miraculous and exceptional gifts were displayed at the cross? Do you know that as Jesus hung on the cross, he displayed no miraculous gift of teaching? He didn't heal anybody. There was no language of tongues that would impress you. In fact, I can't think of one supernatural gift that Jesus used on the cross. But it is the most profound thing that Jesus did. Why? He laid aside all of his gifts to show us his love. You see, it's not about how gifted you are. It's not our gifts primarily that we need from each other. It's not primarily our gifts that the world needs to see. Here's what Jesus says. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The question is, in the different ways that God has gifted us, are we willing to stop the self-exaltation? Are we willing to stop the look at me, look at me? Either in the form of pride, 
look how awesome I am, or insecurity, everybody pity me because of how insignificant I am, and just start loving each other, serving each other. That's what we need in this room, and that's what the world needs out there for us to lay down our life for each other as friends. Let's pray that this would be so. Um, Father God, in our uh, sin nature, we all want to be celebrated. We all want to be praised. We all want to be seen as significant and as great. And we think that if we had certain gifts and certain abilities and could do certain things, that we would be able to wow each other and the world into loving you, Jesus. But I think when we see those words that Paul sees a more excellent way than trying to be as gifted as we possibly can to win the world, and and when we think about you on the cross displaying your love, And, and when we think about the most impactful moments of our lives and the way that people have touched us, we recognize it wasn't their gifts. It wasn't supernatural abilities. It wasn't people wowing us that have really changed us. But it's those moments of love. It's those times of self-sacrifice. And God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit in such a way that our gifts operate in the service of love so that we would care for one another and that there would be no division. Pray this all in Jesus' name.